Hi, everyone, and welcome to Trapped History. I'm Oswin Baker. And I'm Carla O'Shaughnessy. And we're here to share hidden stories of unsung heroes. In today's episode, we want to introduce you to Peter Stevens, a chancer, a thief and a scrounger, and a bona fide war hero. Okay. You might need to sell him to me. Oh, come on, sell him. Last time it was just convince me. Yeah, but, you know, last time we were talking about Nellie Bly and she was pretty amazing, wasn't she? But this guy, he's what? What did you say? He's a thief and a scrounger. Mm, Not sure I like the sound of him, to be honest. Okay, well, you know, there, there is really no other way of putting it. Peter is a con man and is a fraudster. And you're really not doing yourself any favours here. So as well as a thief and a scrounger, this dude is also a con man and a fraudster. Yeah, okay, full transparency <laughs> and all of that. You know? okay. okay, but that's not the main reason he's here on Trapped History, Carla, but it is, it's it's part of the reason. Peter, is, I mean, <laughs> again, in terms of being a thief and a scrounger, a con man and a fraudster, he is actually on the run the day war is declared. On the, on the run? Hang on. So which war are we talking about? The uh, second? The uh, Second World okay. War, yes. This right. is 1939. Okay, gotcha. Um, and as soon as Peter gets the police off his tail, he signs up to the RAF like a shot. And before you know it, he's an RAF bomber pilot flying bombing raids over Germany. After 20 raids... His luck runs out, he's shot down, ends up a prisoner of war, a POW. All right, so he's some dodgy bloke who ends up as a POW. Uh, stick with me, Carla, on this one. I mean, he isn't here <laughs> okay. simply because he's a dodgy bloke. And just, just so you know, we can get the measure of this when we're talking about dodgy blokes, there would have been around 300, 350,000 known criminals in England and Wales at the start of the war. Okay. Many of those will end up fighting one way or another, and mm-hmm. uh, some of those will do something brave or heroic or extraordinary. So mm-hmm. so Peter is one of that group of people. Okay. He's also in the POW group. If we had film, we could do this with a Venn diagram. And, <laughs> and there are uh, around about 15,000 British or Commonwealth air crew in German prisoner of war camps. So Peter is one of that group as well. Okay. But that isn't why Peter's here. There are two reasons why I think our listeners deserve to hear more about him. So, Carla, you've heard of The Great Escape. Yeah, of course I have. I love a prison film or a prison TV series, actually. Okay. <laughs> favourite? What's your favourite? Oh, uh, Shawshank Redemption is probably up there. But oh, yeah, I used to watch a lot of Prisoner Cell Block H when I was at university as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's taking you back. <laughs> that is taking yeah. me back. Do you have a favourite war film? or uh, Not war film, prison film, Josh? Uh, oh, hello. Um, <laughs> what's it called? The, uh, the Green... Is it Green Mile? Oh, the, the Green Mile. Mile. Yeah, yeah, yeah green that mile. one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's one. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you another one. Paddington 2, <laughs> when Hugh Grant ends up in prison at the end. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. What a moment that is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. You want more? I mean, no, I no, no, no. Paddington, you got me a Paddington 2. MK, favourite prison film? Ooh, uh, Shawshank, Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. yeah. Classic. Okay. Yeah. I, I was, was going to say chicken run. I'm, so, I'm, I'm going to stop right now. I, I think I trumped you, actually. <laughs> too. Okay, all right. The Great Escape. There's a mass breakout. Allied prisoners of war tunnel out of Starlag Luft 3 and make a run for it. 200 were meant to escape, but only 76 make it. 
Nearly all of them, though, are recaptured and 50 of them are executed. Now, in the lightly fictionalised film, there are quite a few composite characters. There's Donald Pleasance as the forger. And, and you know, my favourite scene in The Great Escape, it isn't Steve McQueen, when he's trying to uh, get over the border on his motorbike. Sorry, spoiler. It's Donald Pleasance meticulously pacing out the room and picking up a pin, which he can't see because he's going blind. Check it out on YouTube. There's the American actor James Garner, who's in uh, The Rockford Files in the 80s, and that is mm. dating me. And he plays a character called The Scrounger. Okay. Where does our wrong and Peter come into this? Peter Stevens is The Scrounger. Oh. He's the guy in Starlag Luft 3 who nicks things, ducks and dives, taking the cigarettes and chocolate bars, which the prisoners get in their Red Cross parcels, and trading them with German guards for train tickets, ID, currency, hacksaws, that sort of thing. You know, anything you need to help an escape. It's Peter who's the basis for the character of the Scrounger. He was there in Starlag Luft 3 making sure that the great escape happened. Okay, so he's useful there. I can see that his criminal past serves him well. Yeah, absolutely. He's not really sounding like an unsung hero to me, no. though, if I'm honest. And surely being the inspiration for a character for an old film isn't the reason why you're you're pushing him. No, but I think we could probably have an entire Trapped History episode on people who've inspired characters <laughs> in films. Um, like, okay, I didn't expect you to buy that one. No, no. Okay. So, so the second thing about Peter is this. He shouldn't be in the POW camp. He shouldn't even be in the RAF because Peter is, in fact, German. What? He's German? So he ended up fighting against his own people? Mm. A, a German bombing German towns and cities? A German in a POW camp. Uh, hang on, how, how does that even work? Well, I mean, that's the thing, because they're not actually really his own people. Above all else is this. Yes, Peter is German, but Peter is a German Jew. Really? He's Jewish? Yeah, I mean, he's a Jew in a Nazi camp. Many of his family members, 10 to 15 of them, will die in other Nazi camps. And... The thing is this, no one knows he's German and no one knows he's a Jew, not even his friends, not even the other officers. Peter, it's almost he's literally burying his past beneath the earth, which is dug from the tunnels. He disavows his heritage, not only so that he can fight in the first place, not only so that he can join the RAF, but also then so that he can survive once he's caught. He will do anything almost to survive. No, clearly. But I, I have so many questions how did no one realise that he was German? Surely he must have had a German accent. And when did he decide to hide all of this? Was he running from the Nazis? Like, What was driving that behaviour? All right, I'm in. <laughs> You've got me. We're going to cut straight to the chase and introduce our guest. I'm delighted to be joined by Joshua Levine, military historian, advisor to the Dunkirk movie. Joshua, welcome to Trapped History. Thank you very much, Oswin. Very, very nice to be here. What have you been up to? I have just finished writing a book. I mean, really just finished in the last couple of days. It's actually a pictorial history uh, of the SAS, Special Air Service, uh, in the Second World War. So it's following sort of hot on the heels of the, the Peaky Blinders type series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've absolutely been living, you know, the, the, the years 1941 to 
1945. And, and you know, I, I come out of my writing shed and re return to the 21st century. So my head is slightly... I'm not sure where, where I am in terms of history at the moment. So, um, Josh, I... I, I hope that you can help us sort of unpack some of the stuff around Peter. I'm going to try. Um, my starting point is, who is Peter Stevens? That's a really good question. I'm not sure there's an answer to that. That's the whole point of him, really, is who is Peter Stevens? He was born uh, in Hanover. He mm. was a German Jew. His mother, when he and his brother uh, were, were quite young, sent them to... England. So he was about 13, 14 years old when he came to England. His father, as far as I know, was dead at that point. Mm. So even though he was a German Jew and completely a German Jew when he arrived, he developed this sort of cut glass English accent. Oh, right. So he, I mean, I, I was going to say he could pass as an English, I mean, he was, to all intents and purposes, both a German Jew and an English person. You know, when, and, if and you move when you're 13, you know, what, who, who are you? Who, you know, who, what is your real identity? So he was both. Is he, is he Peter Steve? I mean, what's, what's the German? His name is Georg Hein. Oh, oh okay. Nothing, nothing Peterish. Nothing Peterish, even less Stevens-ish. So he was Georg Hein. He went to school with a boy named Peter Stevens. And Peter Stevens, the real Peter Stevens, the original Peter Stevens, died when he was at school. And Georg Hein went to his funeral. So he was well aware. Georg was well aware of Peter. And Georg went to university, went to LSE. Then he, he graduated, got a job, and basically went off the rails. Basically spent, uh, started spending a great deal of money, mm -hmm. too much money, and his mother sent him money from uh, Hanover initially, got through that, uh, and ended up stealing from the firm that he was working for. And he was caught, and he was sent to prison. Okay. So there he is at the beginning of the war in prison. He was then released, because if you can imagine, at the beginning of the war, they, they wanted prison cells. You know, people like him sort of pretty petty criminals like him, fraudsters and, and the like, you know, they, they, they weren't top priority. So he was released, but he was an enemy alien. He was a German, and German Jews had to, well, there was a number of things that, that could potentially happen, depending on how dangerous you were deemed to be as a German citizen, mm -hmm. as, a, as a German in Britain. So there were different categories of alien. And he was told to report to... A police station. Now, Peter Stevens, or rather Georg Hein, being Georg Hein, didn't report to uh, a police station. Instead, he went to the gravesite of his old school friend, Peter Stevens, to check his birth date. He then went along to a government office where he collected Peter Stevens' birth certificate. And that afternoon, he went along to an RAF recruitment center as Peter Stevens, and he joined the Royal Air Force. Wow. Um, and he ended up training as, uh, first of all, a navigator on Hamden's. He became an officer. I mean, I suppose you, you've, you're also looking at a period where, you know, nowadays we have, we have so many checks, so many ways of finding out who, pe you know, at yeah. that time, mm -hmm. somebody can show up with a piece of paper, with a document, and say, this is who I am. And certainly, initially at least, that's who he is. 
It was good enough. That was mm. good enough. And and um, so he literally goes to a gravestone, mm-hmm. reads the dates mm-hmm. of it, goes to a government office, yep. says, "This is when I was born, yep. but I've lost my birth certificate." Yep. And 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 and, and, and assumes that uh, that identity, which is rather you know, I mean, it's it's sort of terrifying. But also the other thing is, you know, the country needs people to fight this war. Mm. You know, not too many questions initially are being asked when somebody shows up and says, here I am, I'm ready to fight. Yeah. So here he is, he's ready to fight the war. And my goodness me, that war needed fighting. So yeah. that's, that's, how, that's how he came to be, Peter Stevens, in the first place. I suppose the question that will come on to this is, how long did he remain Peter Stevens? <laughs> yes. And why but did he that... decide to join the RAF? Because surely that was such a risky strategy for him because he could have just gone to ground or one of the internment camps. Why, why join well, the RAF? Well, I think... Yes, I mean, he absolutely could have just, you know, become another alien. Mm. But I think what's really fascinating about this story is how the Second World War, and actually to sort of extrapolate, really, periods of sort of crisis and national, well, national crisis, national emergency, have this sort of wide-ranging effect. So, uh, you know, on individuals uh, as well as the national situation, it's an, it's an opportunity for somebody to reinvent themselves. Mm. It's an opportunity for somebody to become somebody else. Um, mm. And I mean that, you know, in terms of, you know, name, in terms of nationality, but also in terms of who you are, who, mm. how you see yourself, how others see you. Yeah. And, you know, th- this is an interesting story because, you know, we, we have most of it, but how many other people took the opportunity of that time. I mean, you know, partly the authorities aren't paying as close attention to individuals as they would be at other Hmm. periods of time. You know, I mean, I I wrote a book about the Blitz. They are getting a bit of uh, promotion in. But what was interesting about... Not if you don't say its name. That period. (laughs) I can't remember. But the the thing about that particular period is, is, you know, the, 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 the sort of incredible intensity of the time. People ended up behaving in all sorts of extraordinary ways that they hadn't behaved in before you know there was opportunity quite apart from the blackout and the bombs and everything else there was opportunity for, for law breaking but also other things you know i i always think it's such an interesting period because you know sexuality quentin crisp talked about london as being a great big double bed for for for, for homosexuality it was a sort of mm. a, a sort of breakout period if you like when the authorities were looking the other way they weren't paying attention so wartime you know was opportunity for so many people to become either what they always wanted to be or something different or something totally alien to how they'd seen themselves before. Mm. And this is a particularly interesting example because here's a man who literally becomes someone else. Mm. Do you think he was a thrill seeker? And that's why he I specifically he, went to the RAF. I think, well, um, well they are, that's another great question. I mean, why did people join the RAF? I mean, he, could, he could have just signed up and been a squaddy, or he could, he could. have gone, mm. on, gone on the boats. And well, I think the, the RAF was, a, it's a really interesting one, this, because, because you know, there's, there's always been this sort of narrative, which I suppose is understandable, but is very lazy, that Jews were purely the victims of the Second World War. Uh, and in fact, you know, Jews fought back on a, an enormous scale in all sorts of different ways. But one particular really interesting uh, statistic is that 6% of the British Jewish population, now I'm not talking about 6% of the young men or 6%, I'm talking about the whole 
population joined the Royal Air Force. That's over 20,000 people. And so the question really then becomes, why the Royal Air Force? Mm. And I I mean, my uncle uh, flew Wellingtons. Yeah, I'm older than I look. Um, my uncle flew Wellingtons. <laughs> in his, sure about that. <laughs> no. We can cut that out. <laughs> my uncle flew Wellingtons in the in 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 the Second World War, and and I asked him. Um, I mean, he died a number of years ago, but I, I asked him, and and he said it was the glamorous service. And also, is it not that the RAF is the one service which is taking the fight directly to the enemy? At this point, yes. So, I mean, yes. So, I, I think that's a very good point. In bomber command. Flying raids uh, over Germany and leaving aside the morality of, of all that, because my goodness me, that's another program. But, but it was, it, as you say, it was a way of, hit, of, of hitting the enemy, uh, striking directly at the, at the enemy of the Jews. So, so it, it kind of makes sense that this is something that a lot of people would want to do. I was reading that when he was at school in Germany, he was schooled in Bavaria, which was sort of the heartland of Nazi um, philosophy back in the 1920s. And when his schoolmates and the teachers realised that he was Jewish, the bullying became horrific and his parents took him out of the school. And so there must there's, there's a feeling of payback as well. Oh, there? immensely. I mean, look at, look at Kristallnacht in, in 38. I mean, there was absolutely no doubt whatsoever about the, the, the basic intention of the, of, of the Nazis towards the Jews. And that was seen for many, many years beforehand. They had a, they had a reason for doing it because of what had been done to them already. Yeah. So it's a different kind of a war they're fighting mm. to, to, to some of their colleagues who are English, Scottish, Welsh, Irish or whatever. Uh, so, yes, absolutely. You know, Georg Hein, before he was Peter Stevens, was very, very sort of personally in, involved. So Georg, or Peter, as he now wants to be called, Mm -hmm. signs up. You know, being bomber crew, I mean, you know, I often think about the, the, you know, the different jobs that people did in the, in the second world war. And, you know, to me, bomb disposal is, you know, beyond imagination in terms of danger. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, SOE, SOE agent. Um, But, you know, not far behind that is, is bomber crew. In August of 41, for example, he was flying on a, a mission uh, to attack some, some uh, railway workshops. You know, th- th- these are long trips, by the way. I mean, you know, you're talking about 900, 1,000 miles, three and a half hours one way, three and a half hours back. Attacked by uh, a, a night fighter. They managed to destroy the night fighter, but the fighter had fired its cannons at them and very nearly shot them down, just about managed to get back over the North Sea and to land back in, well, really to crash land back in England without flaps, without undercarriage. And he managed to save the plane and he saved the lives of the people on board. So he's good at what he does. But what you've got to remember at this time is that in a very sort of direct way, the Germans are after him. They're they're, they're setting night fighters up to get him and they're firing flak at him. But the British are after him as well because they know that Georg Hein didn't report to the police station. They know that Georg Hein has disappeared. They don't know where he is. And they start to put little pieces together. They have people looking for him, and they do come pretty close. So in effect, you have this bizarre, absolutely bizarre race to get him. The Germans are trying to get him, and the British are trying to get him, and nobody knows who he is. (laughs) 
So he's shot down. Yeah. He's, it's, I think it's a raid over Berlin. So the, a raid over Berlin is about as far as a, as a Hamden can go. I mean, that's, that's absolutely the limit. And he is shot down. But he's not shot down. He's, I mean, he's hit. But the plane doesn't come down over Berlin. Right. So the plane actually came down um, on the outskirts of, of, of Amsterdam. It was a crash landing, more, probably more of a crash than a landing, without wheels. But basically, they were, they were captured. And Peter now is very firmly Peter. He's Georg absolutely Peter. Now, I mean, so far as the Germans are concerned, he is 110% Peter. So he, he, what he's got to remember is don't speak any German, don't think in German, you know, try and keep away from any sort of situation where you, you might forget yourself. Never has it been more important to keep control of himself. He's Peter Stevens, uh, an Allied pilot, and he claims the, the protection of the uh, Geneva Convention. That's the and end of the story. And if he was found to be German, mm-hmm. and even worse as a German Jew, mm-hmm. presumably the Geneva Convention's out the window, he's taken and... Shot. If he's a German, uh, whether he's, he's a, a Jew or not, he's a traitor. And not only will he be killed, uh, he'll be tortured and the Gestapo will get hold of him, but it, w- it wouldn't be nice. Mm. W- what's the psychology of this now? I mean, I, I, I wonder if, if you were captured and you knew who you really were and who you mustn't allow them to discover you are, you'd think maybe the thing to do would be to keep a low profile from here in. Just sort of, <laughs> you know, keep yourself to yourself and, yeah. and, yeah, and um, go about your business. Yeah. Have a, you know, have, 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 eat your food, have the old, you know, shower and, and, and that's about it. <laughs> Not this man. I mean, you know, he's barely taken prisoner before he's hatching plans to escape. Uh, you, you, you've already mentioned the great escape, also the wooden horse escape. This was uh, an, an escape where in one of the prison camps there was a, a vaulting horse, you know, sort of keep fit contraption. Mm. Uh, so people would be vaulting over it whilst inside it there'd be people actually tunnelling underneath to, to get out of the camp. And he was part of that. There were several escapes that he himself tried to make, and there was one. See if you can see if you can spot first prize to the first person who spots the floor in this. <laughs> he ended up with a lot of prison guards trying to sort of get out with a lot of prison guards, but he ended up in the shower with them. So you've got all of these German guards, and then you've got this one man who's trying to pretend to be one of them. Naked. I think I can spot. So yes. we, won't, we, we don't have to, to go any further with that. So this was a man who was willing to take risks. And this was <laughs> a man who was willing to... I mean, it, he, he's, he's an utterly fascinating character. You know, once you've sort of jettisoned your identity, what, how far are you willing to go? You know, who, who are you now? What are you trying to protect? And who are you trying to be? What do you want to become? And, and nobody knows who he is. I mean, the people in the camp. His friends, his colleagues, people trying to get out alongside him. They don't know who he is. That's the thing that is so difficult for me to get my head round, which is about when, when you jettison yourself, who are you? Mm. But what is the emotional toll on him? Mm. It's quite hard for us nowadays to imagine just the, you know, the sheer hatred that would have been felt towards this enemy. If, if that emotion was large enough, perhaps the others didn't matter so much. Mm. You know, who you were doesn't matter who I am. All that matters is that this evil is combated. You know, when you have somebody like this who is, you know, a shell, really. Um, but but a, what a magnificent shell. It's very hard for us to put ourselves in that position. 
You know, mm. we've had a bit of a shake-up over the last few years with things in our own society. We've mm. had a taste. You know, we've, we've had a sense of what it is to be knocked out of our, 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 our comfort zones, if you like. But sure. people found themselves just living completely different lives than the ones they'd been living a year before had ever expected to live. Mm. And, and, that, and that, I mean, that power of reinvention is a very potent one as well. I mean, you know, yes, yes. clearly the war is horrific and terrible things happen to people every day and yet there's also for some people the the excitement of it oh, I, oh without doubt and the, the the ability to be as you've said to be whoever you want to be i mean there's lots to unpack here i mean first of all yes the excitement because i think you know i think for a long time it it, it became sort of frowned upon to talk about the war in any way other than as a negative and of course overwhelmingly <laughs> was a negative but then you've got to accept understand a lot of people did enjoy it for different reasons things are complicated things are nuanced mm. Mm. we're human beings we see we all see things differently and we don't see a single event in the, in a, a, the same way all the way through yeah so you know you've got to make allowances for the fact that these the people who lived through the second world war had every kind of experience and one person would have had more than one kind of experience within it mm. and and peter stevens it's it's odd it's it's strange but there are human reasons behind everything he's doing if you if you do start to unpack it so it's the end of the war yep he's he's on a german force march across europe yep. he's um uh, liberated by the americans yep. Presumably then he comes back to Britain and, and what is he facing? Well, that's the question, isn't it? So he's, he's well, the, the REF, the authorities have to decide what to do with this man. Because one interesting point is they had worked out who he was. The British had worked out who he was. And they were on the verge of nabbing him, of arresting him when he was shot down. Wow. <laughs> so if, if ever there was a good time to be shot down, <laughs> that was it. So now they have to decide they have this person back. He's a great hero, you know, he, he, for his flying, for his behavior in various prisoner of war camps where he was absolutely always at the forefront of attempts to escape and, you know, raising the morale within those camps. So what do they do? On the one hand, they've, they've got this criminal, this outlaw. On the other hand, they've got this hero. So what does the RAF do? Well, they promoted him to squadron leader they awarded him the military cross for his conduct in the POW camps. So even though he's RAF, he gets the military cross and he's allowed to keep the name Peter Stevens. So he's not Georg Hein anymore. He is officially Peter Stevens. So his criminal record, his fugitive status, his theft of identity, all of them were noted and then just overlooked. Peter Stevens has reinvented himself. Wow. That is a home run. I mean, it's an extraordinary home run. But what an extraordinary experience. What a, what a, a way to, to completely become somebody else. Mm. What he did afterwards is a very grey area. To me, anyway. He did something in the intelligence world. There's something, there's some murky story involved here that I don't know the answer to. I spoke to his son. Did um, his son have anything to no. say about that? Period? Well, no, no. And this is what is so fascinating about it. So he went, he ended up in Canada and he had a wife and had two children. Then Peter Stevens died, you know, lived to a 
decent age. And his son had no idea about any of this and didn't know he was Jewish even. So he had kept his real identity, not just from the Germans, but even after that. Mm. So his son didn't know who his father really was. And the son remembered an old woman coming to stay with them at some point. And the old woman turned out to be Peter Stevens' sister. Georg Hines' sister. Georg Hines' sister. And this woman was under, basically, instructions not to say who she was when she was staying with the family. Peter's son seems remarkably forgiving of his dad. I mean, from, from talking to the son... You know, my impression is that he viewed his father in a very realistic way as a human being and somebody who is perfectly capable of being a hero and all the other things as well. We've all done good things. We've all done bad things. We've all been through periods where we wanted to be seen a certain way, periods where we've wanted to be seen another way. You know, we're really complex. And Peter Stevens, Georg Hein, was really complex, but he was a human being. And I think his son was able to come to terms with, with the fact that his father, you know, was a, was, a, was a complicated man who had, you know, many different sides to him and behaved in different ways at different times. I mean, you can be a hero and you can be a criminal and you can be complicated and you can be, you can, at different times in your life, you can be all, all sorts of things. And that's even without the fact that the war sent people to these extraordinary extremes that they would never have gone to otherwise. And so Peter Stevens, I think in a similar way, was obviously quite an extreme individual in some ways. And then he came to the war, which was the most extreme time and sent people to extremes anyway. So you have this, all this sort of chaos in one individual at one time where, you know, he's already predisposed and, and, and then he finds himself in, a, in, in this intense situation and it allows him to you know, behave in this extraordinary way, allows him to become someone new, whoever that is, and allows him to be the fully complex, nuanced, difficult, interesting, kind person that he clearly was. Joshua, something I just wanted your your help with. Mm. Peter Georg here totally buries his Jewish heritage. And I'm just interested in in whether you can help us about how that feels as someone with Jewish heritage uh, when you come across someone who does that. I find it, personally, just the way it strikes me, I find it sad because I, I, I would hope I wouldn't do that or people I know wouldn't do that. But if you, if you think about what it was he went through, the time he was living through, it, it's not really that surprising. I think, you know, there's this extraordinary story of uh, Jews in, in one of the camps. I think it even might have been Auschwitz. And the story is that they were having, you know, these were Orthodox Jews, rabbis, who were having a, a debate about whether God could possibly exist, given what was happening and they decided on mass that no, God cannot exist. This can't, he can't. If he existed, this 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 would not be happening. And then they finished that debate, and they went off and they did their prayers. And that is sort of, <laughs> in a, in a nutshell, how I view this. He had been through this kind of hell. He 
he, he fought against it. He did all he could to fight against this evil. And then he denied it. And on the face of it, that's total contradiction. And yet in another way, it isn't at all. It's, it's just another way of confronting the same thing. So I understand it totally as, as, a, as a human being. And, you know, as a, as a Jewish person who, as I get older, I take more interest in where I came from. I personally find it sad. But what does it matter what I think? Joshua, thank you so much for showing us the complex world of Peter Stevens. And now it's time for the Trapped History Hall of Fame, and it's your chance to shine a light on someone we've never heard of, but we really should have. So, Joshua, who would you like to nominate? Well, I'm going to nominate... It's an interesting one, this, because, uh, you know, there's an, I'm going to nominate someone who's utterly fascinating. I mean, it's not right to say you should have heard of him, because... You know, I mean, you know, you, it would be nice if you had, and now you will. His name is Mick Gurman, uh, and I've been writing uh, a book, an, uh, an illustrated history uh, of the Special Air Service, the SAS in the, in the Second World War. And one of the things that I've discovered while I was writing it, which isn't uh, really a well-known story, but I find utterly fascinating, is the story of the SAS as it became the unit that everybody uh, has now heard of. So the idea was, if you can imagine British and Commonwealth troops are in North Africa fighting the Italians, this is before uh, Rommel had arrived in, in uh, North Africa, and the British don't have any parachute troops, but uh, an Italian officer is captured and his diary is read. And in his diary, it's quite clear that he believes that the British do have parachute troops who are ready to deploy in the region. And on the basis uh, with strategic deception, which was being developed at that time by this remarkable man, Dudley Clark, one of Clark's tenets is it's much easier to convince the enemy of something that they already believe than to come up with a completely new story. And since clearly the, the, the enemy already believed that there were parachute troops locally, let's help them to believe that. So what Clark decided to do was to invent uh, a parachute unit yes. that was supposedly deploying in the Middle East. And what yes. he did was to name this fake unit the first Special Air Service Brigade. So the SAS. So the SAS. So he, he, he came up with the name. Completely imagined brigade uh, and made up of, of you know smaller units of parachute troops. But it wasn't enough just to you know create this fake unit. He had to sort of pad it out. He had to to, to put across the story. Perhaps the main thing he did was to get a, a couple of troopers from units that were in Palestine and to bring them to Cairo, put them in fake uniforms which were covered in parachutes, and to give them a full story, basically to give them a script. They were, these two men, they were to go into bars and restaurants, go to the Cairo Zoo, go to cabarets, go all over the place for a couple of days as parachute troops. And when people started talking to them and say, what are those parachutes? They would have to say, no, no, I'm sorry, I really can't tell you anything about this. So what Dudley Clark wanted them to do, basically, these two men, was to go into bars, go into restaurants, go into cabarets, to the Cairo Zoo, to all kinds of touristy spots, basically, <laughs> pretending to be these 
SAS soldiers um, with these fake uniforms, and they had a script that they had to deliver. But it wasn't that easy. It was actually a very difficult acting exercise because what they had to do was to show up in their uniforms. People would say to them, you know, what are those parachutes? Are you parachute troops? And they would initially have to say, well, I can't tell you anything about this, I'm afraid. This is top secret. <laughs> and then, well, perhaps I can tell you a little something and start to talk about it, but make it look as if the story was being dragged out of them, as if they were very, very loath to, to, to speak about it. Yes. So, so, so this is what they did. Uh, and one of these men was Mick Gurman, who was just an ordinary trooper from one of the Yeomanry regiments in, in Palestine. He did particularly well so well that they decided this man is being wasted so they sent him for officer training he then joined middle east commando and then about uh, a year or so later joined the real sas so not only right. was this man arguably the first member of the sas before the ss existed <laughs> the original member when there was no sas he then actually joined the real sas he never said oh by the way guys i was the guy who no. brought you into existence you know, if you weren't supposed to talk about something, you didn't talk about something. And this was top secret, and he never spoke about it. You know, German's quite a distinctive name. I knew he was from Wolverhampton. So I started looking around to see if I could find, you know, any, any Germans who might be members of the family. Is there family? I found, I found a taxi firm in Wolverhampton <laughs> that was run by uh, a man named German, and it turned out to be his son. But his son had absolutely no idea that he had done this deception work for Dudley Clark. Wow. He never even told his family about it. So his son knew that he was in the SAS, yes. but didn't yep. know that he was in the, the fake SAS. No. That's what, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, that, that takes us all the way back to Peter Stevens, someone who has a, who has a past which they just they close down and it's never spoken of again. And what, what it shows you, I think, is, is how complicated we as people are. You've got, you know, Peter Stevens, a man who had all kinds of reasons. And uh, you've got Mick Gurman, who had all kinds of different reasons. You know, unfortunately, I can't bring the man, man onto this podcast to, 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 to give their real motivations. Joshua, when you first mentioned Mick Gurman, yeah. yeah. I, I obviously hadn't heard of this person. And then as it, as it went on, you talked about Dudley Clark inventing this thing. I, I was under the impression that Mick Gurman never existed, that you'd made, that, that, that Dudley Clark had created a totally imagine, imaginary and fictitious person. But actually, the fact that he did exist, that he was a, a normal, ordinary soldier asked yep. to do a bit of deception work, who yep. then became... The thing that he had been pretending to be. I mean, that is an astonishing, yeah. an astonishing it story. It is, isn't it? It really is. It always makes me think about how similar these people are to us, were to us. Their yeah. motivations and their drives, you know, they, they, they coincide so much with ours. And it's 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 easy to sort of sideline a pigeonhole or say this is this is what this person was doing, this is why he was doing it. Much better to look at the picture in the round. Who was McGurman? Why was he doing it? How was he different to Peter Stevens? And the two stories kind of complement each other. Oh, that is absolutely wonderful, Josh. Thank you so much for for bringing on uh, someone for the Trapped History Hall of Fame who really merits their place there and who, as you say, has a very strong sort of psychological and, and uh, historical link to Peter Stevens. So thank you very much for that, Josh.
this takes us right back to to the purpose of trapped history. What James Baldwin said, people mm. are trapped in history and history is trapped in them. And, and it's that bit of history is trapped in them about the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves and how we can convince ourselves of a new version of ourselves because of the story that we tell ourselves. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 this is what people often say that, you know, oh, there's too much about the Second World War, you know, so much focus on the Second World War. And to a degree, I agree with that. I mean, you know, in so far as it sort of pushes other periods of history out of focus, there is too much. But what I would say is that it was such a, 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 a t an extraordinary time that you, you do get this sort of proliferation of extraordinary stories. Because what interests me is not, I'm not really interested in the, in the, in the mechanics of the war. I'm interested in people. Always people. It's about people. It doesn't matter with the period. It's about how we behave. And this period really brought out some extraordinary behavior and some incredibly normal behavior, behavior that we see every day, but perhaps, you know, different sides to it or, 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 or lit up in different ways. And it's just that this period sort of shone that light on, on, on people like him. And there's, some, there's something to be, you know, we should learn from this. We should look at this, this, this behavior. And, and it's not just something that happened in the war. You know, it's, it's, it's there in all of us. For me, one of the things about Peter in terms of a defining characteristic, which you know, if, if you're looking at the man's life and looking at any person's life, it's always difficult and there are so many different strands and different ways that life can go. But when we see him as a young man in London, con man, fraudster, when we see him in the prisoner of war camps, again, there's that sort of ducking and diving, bobbing and weaving I don't know how much of that carries on after the war, but sort of if, if there's one word which I would sort of grab onto, one sort of characteristic, it is going back again to the thing we were saying right at the beginning. You know, it's the scrounger. Mm. He is you know, that that character. That characteristic feels to be something which I can sort of I can understand that I can cling on to, and I can see. Oh, okay, mm. that's who he is. Whether he's Georg whether he's Peter, that character and that personality, that's the thing that I can hold yeah. on to. Mm, I think you're right. A chancer, a survivor, scrounger. Hustler. Hustler. Well, that's four films in one. <laughs> Thank yeah. you very much, Josh. I hope you can join us next episode when we will be meeting Adelaide Hall, the greatest singer you've never heard of. You've been listening to Trapped History, written and presented by Oswin Baker and Carla O'Shaughnessy. Our engineer has been MK Lee. Catch up with more Trapped History on Instagram and visit trappedhistory.com for transcripts, extended interviews and more. And remember what James Baldwin said, people are trapped in history and history is trapped in them. See you soon.